Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. It's the third week of March. As always, we begin by catching up with those poor sailors of the whale ship Swan, stuck in the ice off the west coast of Greenland in the spring of 1837, 184 years ago. The readings come from the ship's logbook held in the collections of the Caird Library at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich and was specially transcribed for us for the podcast. The sailors are still in the utmost peril, sometimes beset, sometimes aground, sometimes adrift. They have been trapped now for six months. The crew are in increasingly dire conditions. Not only might their ship be crushed by the ice, but they're also susceptible to frostbite and, as time goes on and their food runs out, to scurvy and then, of course, starvation. So it's a race against time. Will the ship be able to escape before the crew all die? There was no chance of any help from London. There had been impassioned pleas from Hull, Dundee and Aberdeen, but the government refused to mount a rescue attempt. Little did they know it, but the trapped whalers had become a political cause célèbre. Friday, 10th March. Four part of the day commences with strong winds, but the ship remains stationary, the gear being hung up by the reef. Latitude by observation 69 degrees by 55 north. Average of the thermometer this day 16 below zero. Monday, the 13th of March. Strong breezes and fine weather, the ship drifting along the island of Disco about 30 miles off. No water to be seen in any direction, it being a solid sheet of ice as far as the eye can reach. Replenish the oil cask as before. Thermometer 20 degrees below zero. Latitude by observation 69 degrees by 50 north. Friday, 17th of March. Light winds and variable the forepart of this day with warmer weather. The ship has drifted eight miles to the north during the last breeze of wind and we are once more among the reef of bergs off the north end of Disco. A 285-gallon shake number 53 cut up for fuel this day. Today we're exploring the history and the machinery of one of the UK's most interesting vessels in the entire British historic fleet, the SS Shield Hall. 
As you will find out, she's interesting for all sorts of reasons, some of them smelly. But one we have seized upon for all of you maritime engineers out there is the fact that her engine and boilers are an almost exact replica of those that equipped the Titanic, but just in miniature. And to demonstrate how they work, we've made a wonderful animation. You can find this on the Mariner's Mirror podcast YouTube channel. It'll also be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, um, wherever you get your social media. So do please check it out. I think it's fabulous. And also, of course, when the time is right, go and check out the Shield Hall and her engines in person. They really are quite wonderful. They evoke a lost age of maritime history powered by steam. Today I shall be talking to the Shield Hall's chief engineer, Graham McKenzie. Here he is. Graham, thanks so much for talking with me today. Sam, it's a great pleasure. So tell me about the Shield Hall. I mean, she's a wonderful, wonderful ship with such a, such a great history. Tell me a little bit about her. Well, a little bit's going to be difficult, but I can tell you a lot. <laughs> tell me lots, tell me lots. <laughs> OK, well, let's, let's start at the beginning. Um... The ship was built in 1955, laid down in October 1954, but launched in July 1955. And she was the fourth of the line of the sludge sludge ships built for Glasgow Corporation. And in fact, the last of the steamships for the corporation did follow two further motor ships, but uh, that's probably outside of this. Um, Shieldall was originally conceived back in 1950 when the previous ship of the same name the shield hall one as it became uh, was deemed to be life expired and um, so they started to pull together a a specification and uh, eventually went out to tender as was the normal way mostly to scottish shipyards but one or two english ones as well on the tyne and i think uh, barrow and furnace was the other place And um, not surprisingly, it was one of the Clyde Yards that won the contract. It was Lobnitz of Glasgow, or Renfrew, I should say, because the people in Renfrew often don't think they're in Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lobnitz was, uh, the name's not a good old Scottish name, it's a Danish name, but it's about second or third generation. So as far as they were concerned, they were, they were Scots. Um, Lobnitz was a family company. And uh, it eventually became part of the Weirs Group around about the sort of time that Shield Hall was conceived and built. So 1954, as I say, she was laid down. 1955, July 1955, she was launched and then uh, went into service in October 1955. So you could say from laying down to uh, into service was approximately a year. She went into service on the Monday the Shield Hall 1, which her predecessor actually came out of service on the Saturday and also went to scrap on the Monday. So that's the way things happened in those days. Um, she was built very traditional lines with um, triple expansion steam engines and Scotch boilers. The, the boilers were oil fired and this was one of the criteria that they put down right at the beginning that the ship had to be oil fired triple open triple expansion steam engines and then the the dimensions of the ship were preordained and that was more because of the, the constraints of the berth that she was working from 
I think, um, uh, Graham, before we go into the details of the engine, let's go back a bit and just to think about why she was built. So it was uh, the Lobnitz Company. You talk about the shipyard. That doesn't sound like a very Scottish name. Do we know anything about that? Yeah, as I said, they were third generation Danes. Um, so the original Lobnitz was uh, a Danish. Uh, he, he came, obviously, I came over to the Clyde side to work and eventually took over the shipyard. And then, as I say, the I think the Lobnitz that, that was owning the yard when, when the ship was built was actually um, third generation. But um, H. Pearson Lobnitz was his, he was known as Pearson, although that was his second name. I can't, I can't remember what his first name was. Um, and that was certainly the yard stayed as Lobnitz right up until the time that the upper and lower Clyde shipbuilding groups were formed in the must have been the 1970s but there was sort of mergers that happened so Lobnitz merged with the yard next door Simons and became known as Simon Lobnitz and in the sort of 50s and 60s various transitions took place with the whole industry not just on the Clyde but in the whole of the of Great Britain. Yeah. And what do we know about the Glasgow sludge fleet I mean we 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 kind of skimmed over a bit there but this is a it's a ship that's designed and built for carrying sewage yes um now the glasgow sludge fleet like many so london southampton exeter manchester you could go around the country most of the big cities and towns had their own sludge ships which basically took the sewage sewage sludge away from the um the sewage works took it out to sea and dumped it and that happened for most mainly yeah a good part of the 20th century in fact and uh, it was a convenient way of getting rid of um of the sludge which i'm told is only about less than five percent of what goes down into the sewage itself <laughs> most of it is liquid <laughs> anyway um the glasgow sludge fleet was unique in as much as their ships carried passengers Right, and, that must have been quite stinky for the passengers. Do they do it well, at it, the same time as carrying <laughs> the sludge? It was, but you see, this is where Glasgow was probably streets ahead of any of the other big cities because it was using a public asset for the public good. Okay. And the social history here is that the... And it started off before the First World War occasionally where they would invite the poorest people of Glasgow who couldn't afford days out of any sort to come on board the ship and this was typically done by the local councillor and they would be invited on board the ship and basically taken for a trip down the river nice. or doing the water as they used to say. Was and that while the ship was working? I mean, Did they come oh, on? Yes. Okay right right so they go down the Clyde they go yeah. out to sea they drop the sewage and then they get to go back again? Yes and uh, typically they would come on board after the loading had completed because I was told that that was actually quite a smelly process. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then they'd have a day on the ship because it was about a four-hour trip down the river and obviously the same going back. Um, they did, uh, I think it might have been after the First World War, they did actually provide lunch. Right. <laughs> if anyone could stomach uh, certainly it. <laughs> on, yeah, certainly on the second shield hall they did. And... They take them inside whilst the cargo is being dropped. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so there's a, there's actual human sewage, and then there are there's a cargo of um, impoverished, disadvantaged families. 
Okay. Uh, I, I also read that there was um, sometimes space for wounded or disabled servicemen as well. Yes, that right? and that's really where it, it. I think that's where the um, the tradition took off, if you like. That um, during the First World War, then Glasgow used to take on the, as you say, the wounded and the the returning soldiers, but particularly the wounded soldiers from the First World War. Um, they were made. I wouldn't say they were made a fuss of, but they were looked after in the, in a way, as I say, that Glasgow did that none of the other uh, towns or cities even considered, as far as we know. Yeah, it's a so bit of a, a great back- piece. Of, I was going to say it's a bit of a backhanded gift, isn't it? Um, you know, you get you get well, to go out on the ship, and, but, yeah. but it's it's it's, it's going to reek. Or do, do you reckon people didn't think about it like that? And they were just delighted. No, to no. Because once you were on board, um, everything was closed down, so you basically left the smell behind. Ah. <laughs> and uh, as I say, it was a great day out from all, by all occurrences. Uh, as I say, it's the city of Glasgow using its public asset for the public good. Yeah. Are there, are there any good letters and accounts of people's on their day out? No, there's, <laughs> there's one thing that I heard on Radio Clyde oh, some years ago. Uh, it's a little anecdote. <laughs> I can't. I really can't. Um, I can't repeat the Glasgow accent. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you need a Glaswegian to tell you this. But the um, one of the crew, and it was a, a fine sunny day. Now you've got to understand that um, your lunch. If you took your lunch as a sandwich, it was known as your piece. Right. And uh, so there's this this crewman. We'll call him Jimmy because a lot of them are called Jimmy. And he came home from his work one day and it had been a lovely hot sunny day, which may be quite unusual. And he goes back into his flat and his wife says, Jimmy, you stink. What on earth's going on? Oh, he said, but Jake, I dropped it in the water. <laughs> and he said, uh, she said, well, why does it smell? He said, well, I dropped it in the water while they were dropping the cargo. She said, well, you said I left it where it is. Oh, no, no, he said, I had my piece in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So that, that's one little anecdote. As I say, it was on Radio Clyde, and whether whether it's true or not, we don't know. But, um, uh, I mean, it's one of these things that the ship really had a trouble-free life. She had a minor collision with a, a, a ship on the Clyde, which is not surprising. Um and I think that was in the 1960s, a Blue Star ship. Um, but apart from that, nothing really to speak of. As I say, it's typical of the majority of the, the merchant fleet of the world that nothing really exciting happened. They just did their daily toil, yeah. um, picking up cargo, taking it from point A to point B and dropping it off. Yeah. And um, she, she then left Glasgow and then came down to Southampton and did a yeah, similar, that's similar right. job, yeah? Yeah, so she... Took about twenty odd years in Glasgow, and then the cost of fuel, and really also the the cost of crew, because she took a crew of eleven people, which for a ship of just two hundred odd sixty odd feet long, is actually quite a large crew. So um, uh, they laid her up, and one of the diesel ships, the Garrick Head, actually took over from her, and so Southern Water bought the ship. And brought her south, laid her up actually for three years because there was an existing contract underway, and uh, 
it's quite interesting that uh, Southern Water obviously saw a great opportunity uh, because when the ship was built, it cost all told about £280,000. And when Southern Water bought it 20 years later, they paid, I think it was 25, 30, no, sorry, £50,000. Um, and then they, as I say, laid it out for three years because the, the ship was, um, there was another ship that was actually doing the run, which was under contract. Southern Water took it over, as I say, ran it for about five years. And again, the cost of crewing and fuel took its toll. And in 1985, she was laid up again. Yeah, I mean, we should uh, say we should say now. I mean, this is the the fairly unremarkable history of the ship. I mean, she's a fairly a, a standard merchant ship. She's carrying sewage around. There's some nice social history um, of her uh, taking out these impoverished uh, and working class people up in Glasgow. But the key thing about her is that even though she was she was built in the 20th century, is that she has the most remarkable it's like she's like a time capsule she's got all all of the machinery on board is 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 from a completely different era yes i mean you can trace the design of the the machinery that's the boilers and the triple expansion right the way back to the late 1800s yeah and it really if you if you look at your industrial heritage history then it all it all sort of came, the, the technical advance came about because of the changes of the way that materials were becoming more, uh, what should I say, more successful. So iron was being replaced with steel. Uh, the steel quality was becoming more, uh, something that you could trust more. So you could actually roll steel where perhaps you couldn't roll iron. You could put higher pressures in the boilers and so on and so forth. And yeah. so what started off as a single cylinder or a single cycle steam engine, like railway locomotives, for instance, they then introduced compounding, which was to use the uh, what would be the waste steam or the exhaust steam, which still had pressure in it, to use it in the second stage. And then, of course, as the pressures went up, then you could use it in a third stage, and hence what we call triple expansion. But the effective what's fascinating here is that the the, the the machinery we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's essentially obsolete, isn't it? At the time that Absolutely. she was launched, so yeah. do we know why that happened? Why did they build this ship with with machinery which was so out of date and old? Well, I think there was two factors. Um, as I say, she was originally conceived back in 1950, and open crankcase triple expansion steam engines one of the three factors that they they wish to uh, to have on board we think or we can speculate that that was because the previous ships uh, the shield hall one and what would be its running mate the dalmanic were also triple expansion okay and so the idea was you could take the engineering staff the technical people straight off one ship put her on the second ship and away you go without any retraining or anything like that. That was one aspect. The other aspect that the diesels were a lot more expensive. And also you had a lot of restrictions just after the Second World War about how you could spend money. So unless you had the technology in the country, and you, if you had to import it, for instance, there was a lot of restrictions on where you could spend money. So all of that... I think, we think, 
led them to say, right, well, we'll just go with what we've got and, and just up, basically update it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, so the joy of the joy of this, this vessel is that she built in the 1950s, but actually the gear on board the machinery is typical of cargo and passenger ships going back to the 1870s absolutely right and in fact she wasn't the last because right up until the 19 about 1960 there was still one or two colliers being built for the, the what would be the coal boards uh they still had triple expansion steam engines yeah so and there was a, a group of ferries built for the Bosphorus by Denny's around about that sort of 1960s time as well. So um, you can understand it was cheap technology, sort of cheap to build, probably fairly cheap to operate, but probably not the most efficient. So um, no. uh, when it, it, fuel was when fuel was cheap, that was the ideal. Yeah, and uh, as I said, we'll, we're going to talk about the engine in a minute. But I, I also read here that there are twenty steam engines driving all of the original machinery. That's mind blowing. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> a lot of them, except for the two main engines, are what we call auxiliaries, Sam. Okay. So you've got um, various pumps, all to do with the, the life support system, as we, as you might call it. So. There's pumps for cooling water. There's pumps for feed water for the boiler. There's uh, there's fuel pumps and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and, and also, I mean, there's the the stuff on deck. She, her decks made of teak, aren't they? Which which does seem yeah. quite extraordinary because so expensive. Surely to actually have uh, the teak being imported. Did it come from India? Do we know where it came from? Don't know where it came from, but you see, back then, that's what decks of ships were. They mm. were teak. And it, yeah, it probably came from, I'll use the expression colonies, because it would either come from, I guess, India, Burma, somewhere like that, probably yeah. the Middle East, Far East. Um, and it would have been probably held in store because uh, the, that sort of stuff, if you go down the Clyde, there used to be huge great timber ponds between like the Erskine area and uh, Port Glasgow, where there is huge timber ponds. Where, where timber like that would just be left to weather. 
and then they take it up and and cut it into size and, 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 and um, then it's almost impervious to rot when they actually kind of put it on it's it's a magnificent yeah. material isn't it it is it is and um the the forecastle and the boat deck and what we call the bridge deck back aft the docking bridge deck are all um teak and as you say this is really one of the um remarkable things about the ship that how typical of it is of the 1950s yeah. And the other aspect, of course, is the fact the ship is part riveted and part welded construction. Right. And really shows the transition in the British shipbuilding industry from one old technology to the new technology. Yeah. So it, it almost like it happened in the middle of them building it, or they couldn't decide which one to do with the old technology or the new technology. So there's a bit of there's a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah. And again, there might be some social history here. We don't really know, but suspect that the the people that are doing the riveting were probably part of the boilermakers union i suspect uh boilermakers and platers so they would have quite a large say in um how much work effectively came their way because back then welders <laughs> i always say if i'm giving a talk welders by then were not considered to be a uh a profession or or whatever they were more more of a disease <laughs> <laughs> and they would be looked upon as second class semi-skilled workers whereas nowadays they are a real skilled work and it's it's strange how you look at the the social aspects of this and you've got this internecine warfare between the unions the funnel for instance that's riveted it could have been welded why it could have been that the boilermakers were looking for work. We don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it would be lovely to find that out. Now, let's talk about the, the wonderful engines and the boilers, because when I first spoke to you about that, you said, just not many people know this, but it's just like Titanic, but in miniature, which I love. Yes. And yes. Um, because of that, we've um, we've made a little animation of the really wonderful engines of the Shield Hall. You can find them on our YouTube channel. That's the Mariner's Mirror Pod YouTube. And do please check those out. We'll put them up on social media as well, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter for you to have a look at. But it's a wonderful animation. And um, if you get lost at all in this little discussion of boilers, then please just go and check that out. Um, so boilers, woohoo! Um, you, you might think this is a potentially dull subject, but let me reassure you it is not. I have become an expert in how boilers work over the last few weeks, making this animation work. Um, so, well, take me through the boilers, Con. Right, there are what they call Scotch-type boilers, and that's, again, that's a Scotch with a small S, not a capital S, so it's right. not because it's come from Scotland. It's the type of boiler. It's what they call a two-pass boiler, and it's a fire tube, so the water is on the outside of the tubes. And in our boilers, each boiler contains approximately 22 tonnes of water. Right, and that's uh, that's fresh water. It is treated uh, to reduce the various solids and so on and so forth. So what you have is a a furnace at the bottom, and the furnace is a corrugated tube. The corrugation is there for strength and also to increase the heating area that is available. Okay, now get that. Yeah. In our case, it's oil-fired, but it could just easily have been coal-fired. So you could have a big grate that ran the length of the of the furnace tube. 
so you put your fuel in set fire to it and it goes up to the back of the boiler and then does a complete u-turn and comes back through hun- literally hundreds of smaller tubes yeah, there are 320 i saw there are 320 fire tubes so these are tubes which are inside the boiler so the water's sort of all around those tubes yeah 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 and again what you're trying to do sam is to increase the amount of surface area of heat transfer so the more tubes you have obviously the greater the surface area to um to transfer the heat from the uh, from the gas into the uh, into the liquid into the fluid water as this in this case and then boil it off and collect the steam at the top of the boiler how big are these boilers give people a sense of size uh they're <laughs> they're almost known as a square boiler, so they're about eleven feet long, yeah, and a similar sort of diameter. Okay. So that relates to just trying to think, just less than three meters, I guess, two and a half meters. Yeah, it's like a yeah. small a small car, perhaps, or a small van. Is that about yes. right? Yeah, something like yeah. that. So, and, and how much water did they hold? Uh, so about twenty twenty five tons is oh, uh, right, is yeah. is typical. Now, just to give you some idea of the size of the tube, the fire tube, the furnace tube, it's one of the things that I have to get in every year and inspect. So I can crawl in there uh, across the shoulders. So I'm about, what, uh, I don't know, I guess a metre across the shoulders. Uh, There's room for me to wriggle in quite nicely and go up the back end and stand up at the back of the boiler. Wow. Um, the tubes are typically what inch, so let's say thirty odd millimeters diameter, uh-huh. and uh, various thicknesses of wall thickness depending on the tube is what they call a stay tube, which is supporting each of the tube plates at each end, or whether it's just there for purely for heat transfer. Yeah. Okay. So um, they, they uh, the 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 water is boiled by the the heat in the fire tubes. Yes. And then what happens? Right, so then what happens is the gas then goes through a 90 degrees upwards through some more tubes, which is actually heating the air that's coming in for combustion. So you, you're trying to extract the maximum amount of waste heat uh, to reduce the amount of thermal shock, if I can use that expression, of the air going in. So you preheat the air before it's used in the furnace for for firing purposes and then the once it's gone through those tubes the exhaust goes up the funnel and out to atmosphere yeah so you're actually heating the water to uh or sorry preheating the air to a temperature of we did measure it once i i'm just trying to i can't remember what it is offhand now so um as i say you're preheating the air before it goes into the furnace right and then you have the, the triple expansion bit. Yes. Let's explain so, that. <laughs> so what's the best way? So once once you've captured the, the steam at the top of the boiler, then it goes through a, a collector in the boiler onto the main steam valve. That then goes to the throttle valve on the each engine. So each engine has its own throttle valve. And it is, as the name implies, an open-closed and it's not, you can graduate it so you can make the engine go faster or slower. You introduce the steam into the high pressure cylinder. 
and that's a relative term and the maximum that if the steam valve is fully open the throttle valve is still fully open you can get full boiler pressure acting on what we call the high pressure steam valve steam cylinder once the work is done in that cylinder it is then exhausted through the valves into the next stage because in doing work you've actually dropped the pressure from let's say 100 psi down to approximately 25 and i'm just using some psi yeah. terms here at the moment but the key point is is there's still enough pressure for, for yeah. that steam to be useful absolutely and that's yeah. the this is where the victorians i think were great engineers because they spotted that this was energy that would otherwise be wasted Yep. So it goes into the second stage, and the second stage cylinder is larger than the first stage because what you're trying to do is to work the same amount of force, and this is where you have to go back to some basic physics, that um, the pressure over the area will give you a downward force. And what you're trying to do is to make sure that each cylinder has a similar amount of force. Yep. So what then goes into the second stage and from the second stage there's still a little bit of energy left so what might have been 25 pounds per square inch going in might only be sort of five or six pounds per square inch coming out that then gets exhausted into the low pressure cylinder and as i say the low pressure cylinder is the largest one of the lots yeah. so again reduced pressure large area but hopefully the same force and the whole idea is that by the time it's finished in that part of the engine there is no wasted energy and then we have what we call a, an air extraction pump which creates a vacuum which draws that waste steam away um, into the condenser the steam is then condensed back to water and then fed back into the boiler that's very simplistically how it works yeah so that's the, the triple expansion engine as i say it, it is as the name exp in, implies three stages by expansion yeah uh, it's beautifully described as well but they're, they're essentially recycling the steam aren't they or they're they're they're, they're, they're using it for one purpose then they realize there's still enough energy in it and they're using it again and then using it again until there's nothing left that's right and the relate a lot of people can relate to railway locomotives where they do what they call linking up so they use the expansive capacity of the steam within a simple cylinder arrangement whereas we use the expansion of the steam through the engine to get the maximum work out of it yeah clever stuff and, and how much um speed does that generate i mean this 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 whole engine how fast can the ship go uh well <laughs> on trials she managed just over 13 knots and we believe that was probably the first and only time, unless the captain was in a hurry to go home for his dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, typically service speed would be 10 or 11 knots. We run it around about 8 or 9 knots, and that's really for fuel efficiency from our point of view, because um, it costs in around... If we're doing a 8 or 9 knots, we're burning something like 0 0.6 tonnes yeah. an hour. And fuel today is around about £350 a tonne. So you can start to work out how expensive that is. Yeah. Really gets right? going. So, uh, yeah, and on a diesel ship, it would be 
a lot less than that so you would whereas we'd be using 0 0.6 they'd probably be using 0 0.15 0 0.2 tons an hour for a similar size engine the engines by the way are 800 horsepower <laughs> each wow okay extraordinary stuff what about the steering engine because that's is that steam as well yes yeah that's one of our 20 steam engines <laughs> <laughs> and that's a little two-cylinder engine uh, what we call fixed lap and lead because as they turn the wheel on the bridge it sends a hydraulic signal right the way back aft and again this is another connection with the Titanic because she had a very similar steering gear we are told again it's just a matter of scale the hydraulic signal goes back aft the hydraulic medium is a mixture of glycol and water and it goes to a hydraulic cylinder which opens or closes a valve which determines whether the engine goes one way or the other and whichever way it is it then drives the rudder quadrant over to port or to starboard and obviously turns the rudder as well so it's a very very straightforward system again that's a system that was in service probably for oh, I would say getting on for 80 or 90 years and it's like anything in the marine industry, things were done by evolution rather than revolution. Yeah. Um, very, very simple engine. Uh, as I say, a little two-cylinder engine. Yeah. And there's a, what about the technique of passing messages to the engine room? How did that happen? That's by telegraph. And um, this is where you see the classic films, the ding, 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 ding. Oh, <laughs> Pull ahead, right. Captain. Yeah. Um, or mere steam McPhail if you're on, uh, if you're para handy. <laughs> yeah. But um, this is a very simple system, and it's all done by chains, rods, and springs. <laughs> so it's a mechanical system that goes from the bridge right the way down to the engine room, and when at the engine room side, when the bridge rings one way or the other every time it passes one of the orders it goes a ding 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 and we reply with our handle which is a reply handle which gives them a ring back up on the bridge to let them know that we've received the order nice and uh that is basically Very how <laughs> that's what that's what the uh the, the the british empire worked on a bit of dinging and a bit of telegraph yeah. systems that's how it all got put together <laughs> yeah and it's a very simple very straightforward um they were it was replaced by uh, electric systems and all sorts of stuff nowadays of course you have bridge control so um uh, that would all be bypassed completely yeah well um how would people find out more can they come can they come and have a trip yes um we're in our website which is www ss-shieldhall.co.uk has the details uh, you can book online and uh, we've got a program ready to go uh, we are taking bookings at the moment we're looking at um, although it's uh, yeah we're looking at starting this summer that's because we had a complete summer out last year through COVID-19 but uh, we are really hoping that people will have an energy and a desire to come aboard this year so that we can actually recover some of the lost finances that we had last year. Yeah. But when you're on board, the engine room and the bridge are open. 
uh, by invitation. So you will hear a public address saying that the engine room and bridge are open for visitors and we welcome you. We will explain what's going on. Uh, we will actually get people into the boiler room as well if they want to. So we a wee bit warmer in there. It's 40 degrees plus centigrade. So um, no need to go cold on a steamship, as we say. And <laughs> similarly on the bridge, you can go up and see the, the master uh, in control of the ship and with traditional charts as well as uh, modern day radar systems as well. All the things that you would have had on a traditional ship, but also all the things that we need these days to carry passengers safely as well. I think the, the key word here is it's a time capsule. It's it's amazing. Seeing all the traditional instruments, the gleaming brasswork, everything you'd expect for a steamship. Um, I'd urge you all to go and have a look. And while, while you're waiting, do please go and check out the little animation of the boilers and the engine. And remember, it's like Titanic, but in miniature. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, thank you all very much for listening. And Graham, thank you for talking to us today. That's a pleasure, Sam. Thank you. that's it for this week i very much hope that you've enjoyed yourselves please do follow us on social media Uh, you can follow the society for nautical research at nautical history on twitter you can find us on facebook the mariner's mirror has got its own instagram page and youtube channel and there's going to be some fascinating material being posted on both in the coming weeks what else can you do well please do join the Society for Nautical Research. You can find us at snr.org.uk and your subscription fee will go towards publishing the most important naval and maritime history and to preserving the world's maritime heritage. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.